0: welcome to the driving test podcast this is a show where we give you all the information you could ever need to help you pass your driving test as well as some top tips, busting some myths and giving you some additional resources as well. As always I am your regular host your guide throughout your driving test journey Terry Cook But today it's not just me, I'm also joined by fellow driving instructor Phil Cowley of Cowley's School of Motoring. And we're doing a deep dive into the driving test itself, looking at all the components of it, what may or may not happen on the day, and giving you plenty of advice and suggestions around the driving test as well. On top of that, at the end of the episode, Phil is going to be giving you his top driving test tip and we're going to be reviewing his local driving test centre, Newton Abbott, including me, asking him how friendly the examiners are. But just before we dive into the show, I just want to take a slight moment to remind you, head over to the website www.tcdrive.co.uk. Now, over there, you can find things like my other podcasts, the Driving Test Tales and the Five Minute Theory. And if you go and check out the blog for this episode, you'll find links for Phil's stuff, such as his TikTok account and his website. And you'll find additional resources in that blog as well. But for now, let's dive into the show. And we're now joined by Phil Cowley of Cowley's School of Motoring. Thanks for joining us today, Phil. How are you doing? I'm all good. Thanks for having me. No, pleasure to have you on. Uh, do you want to start off just by telling people uh, where your driving school is based, how people can find you, or maybe just a little bit about your driving school?
1: Uh, yes, yeah, so we're based in uh, Newton Abbot and surrounding areas. Um, so we, we do branch out a little bit further than that. Um, and you can find us at carolishschoolofmotoring.com. Um, and we also have YouTube, TikTok, Instagram. So search us up on those as well.
0: Awesome, and if you're listening, you can head to the show notes or my website. To find links for all that stuff over there as well. Uh, but today we are talking about the driving test, and we're going to break down that driving test and look in a bit more depth than we did, or than I did, back on uh, episode one. So first of all, let, let's kind of right at the beginning, we go to the test centre. Uh, you've you've given your license, or we well, are not given it. You've shown them your license. You've gone out to the car. Um, the test itself begins now the test is usually around about 40 minutes um but i've had tests that have come back sort of 25 minutes i think my longest test was i think it's about hour and five hour and ten minutes something like that um so the big thing i say to people is don't worry about the length of time you're out on your test is that something you'll concur with phil and what sort of the length of time the weird times you've had of tests before
1: yeah absolutely agree um they are. They do have a minimum. You have It has to be thirty minutes. Um, the and actually with the new iPads that they use um, that actually times it and records it. Um, I had a test this week on a Saturday morning, and they clearly were all back a little bit early because they drove past the test centre, um, and then we saw them turning back in a few more minutes. So they will add a little bit of to the route if they if they need to. And then yeah, it could go the other way if you, particularly if you get stuck out, stuck out in traffic, or there's an accident or something like that. That's that normally abnormal traffic because I think that the examiners are pretty good at knowing the busy areas and they avoid them at at, at those times of day. Definitely, and I had one similar to you
0: that. Well, yeah, they come back early, and. I think they must have just sat there for two or three minutes playing with his iPad before he'd marked it as, as a pass because he wanted to let that time tick over. Um, but yeah, I think the big thing I would say there to anyone listening is you you can't control the length of time you're on your test. You can simply drive. That's it. And I think it's probably pertinent to mention now, actually, that, um, that your test could finish earlier than that. It is possible that your test gets terminated midway through. Um, mm. And that could be... In fact, I'll ask you this question. Has that ever happened to, to you, Phil, when one of your students have gone out driving that the test has been terminated?
1: One time. Um, and, and I still feel bad about it. It was years ago, actually. Um, but I this is possibly the only time I've ever taken a pupil to test and didn't feel like they were ready. And I knew, and I sat in the back of the car because I thought this might not finish. And um, and it didn't and the examiner got to a certain part of the road said look i'm gonna have to stop the test there and the reason i went was so that i could drive them back and not have to do the long old walk back of shame um and i actually emailed the examiner the next day and apologized because i said sorry i shouldn't have put that person in the car with you um and actually i think this comes back to really having that responsibility to be ready for the test because the examiners aren't there to um jump in and save you they, they will but that's not their job um and so if, in theory you that is the first time you're driving on your own um so you really do need to be ready um i know i'm jumping ahead a little bit there but definitely feels like it's it's important that you're ready to take the driving test
0: so uh, you're 100 right at, um Thankfully, it hasn't happened to me yet. I mean, you've been in the industry longer than I have, but it hasn't happened to me yet. I've seen it a few times when I've been at the test. I certainly see the examiner walk back, Um, but it's it's never happened to me yet. Um, They would only do it really if they felt you like a genuine danger. It's not about if you make a mistake. It's if the examiner can see you're not fit to be on the road at all or whether that's because of, like, an extreme nerve situation or extreme panic attack or something like that, or whether it's because you clearly can't drive at all. That's really the only time to do it. So it's not something you need to worry about because, as as Phil mentioned, that you'll only take your test when you're ready. But you did speak about the examiner there, and you mentioned about um, sort of how the examiner will be with you a little bit and how you regard the examiner. And it's the first time you're driving by yourself – and I think that's uh, the big thing. It is the first time you're out without your instructor, with you? Now the instructor could sit in the back, but without that support. So it is the first time you're going to be out by yourself. So prepare for that beforehand psychologically. So you're aware, okay, I'm going to be alone. You know, no one helping me. So what advice would you give around that, Phil, for anyone that's going out by himself in that sense?
1: To, to, to prepare for that, um, probably mock tests would be uh, the best advice so that you'll, you're used to that. It, it's slightly different because obviously your instructor does still have that responsibility to keep you safe in those scenarios. But um, you'll find your instructor being very different on a mock test and a lot more silent um, and really sort of allowing you to um, – make that decision i i know when i do uh, mock tests with my pupils they will sometimes still ask ask a question and it's the sort of question i might throw back at them normally or um or give them a a quick answer to and and in those moments i sit silently or do the classic do what you would normally do which is what examiners love to say um and so i think getting used to those scenarios it doesn't have to be a full mock test as well get used to it as you go through your learning period like process so it might be that you've done roundabouts for, for a couple of weeks and you're feeling like I've got these now. Then you can do like a little mini mock on the roundabouts just to kind of test am I have I can I do these independently, like truly independently. And um, so like little mini mocks as you go through are always a good idea as well. Definitely.
0: And while we're speaking about examiners and instructors, just so you're aware that on your test, as I mentioned, your instructor can sit in the back when you go for your test, the examiner should ask if they want their examiner sitting on the car. You're more than welcome to have them so your instructor can sit in the back as long as you're happy with that. So I think about whether you're going to feel more or less comfortable having that second pair of eyes in there. Some people find it relaxing, knowing they've got someone in the car that they can trust, Other people think it's more stressful because they've now got two pairs of eyes on them. So have a think whether that would be beneficial. And also, there is a possibility you could get another examiner in the car. So an examiner could be sat in the back assessing the examiner taking you out. Now, if that happens, that second examiner isn't assessing you. They're simply assessing the other examiner. So, it's possible that you could have four people in the car. You could have you driving, the examiner in the passenger seat, an examiner in the back, and your instructor in the back. Unlikely, but could happen. Uh, anything you want to chip in on that, Phil?
1: I've seen that happen. Um, so, yeah, um, I suppose actually what I would say is that, like, yeah, remember that an examiner could, it is very unlikely, um, but they could come and sit in the back. But maybe if you have planned to have your instructor sat in the back and and you're going to have a senior examiner in the back. It might be worth not having your instructor there, just so there isn't four people in the car. It can feel a bit overwhelming. But then, maybe the like I said, it goes back to how you feel about it. So if if you if the extra examiners make you even more nervous, maybe having your instructor there is going to like balance that out a little bit. So again, just maybe take that into consideration, put it out there as an option. Um, don't forget you can have family members in the back as well. As um, instructors and it doesn't necessarily have to be just because you've got in your own car. I was at the test centre the other day and an instructor turned up in the instructor's car but they'd brought mum along with them um, and their mum went out in the test, out, out with the test with them to again just more support I suppose Yeah and I want to also say don't be afraid to change your
0: mind so if you and your instructor have decided that the instructor's going to in the back of the car and then when the examiner comes out and asks you suddenly go, the can't do this with two people in the car say no you know it's your choice at the end of the day but you've then decided that and you've gone out to the car you're in the car and you are getting ready to start your test and you're going to kick off with what they refer to as a tell me question now again there will be links for for a video about that in the show notes and in the blog over on ccdrive.co.uk but The tell me question is essentially a question where you have to describe or explain something. So you're not really physically doing anything. You're describing it. So you may be asked to open the bonnet and show where the oil is, for example, or you may be asked to explain uh, how you put the fog lights on or set up your head restraint, something like that. So that's just one of the questions you need to ask. Uh, You'll be asked at the start. Now, if you have a complete brain freeze and forget you know how to open the bonnet or, or where the oil is or whatever it is you will receive a driver fault so you get one driver fault that's it you won't fail your test for not knowing uh, how to turn your fog lights on however you will be given plenty of opportunity beforehand to learn this both for your instructor through stuff you can read uh, through stuff you can watch online all that kind of stuff so Yes, we should know it. It's an excellent opportunity to to get off to a good start, but don't panic if something goes wrong on the day. Uh, Anything you want to add on to the Tell Me question, Phil?
1: Um, We have a a page for Show Me Tell Me's, which I've worded slightly different to the DVSA's wording. Um, I've put it in my own words, because I think DVSA talk can sometimes be a little bit robotic. Um, So um, and I think that's um, something as well. Obviously, don't use my words either. Use your own. Uh, get an understanding of it and use your own words. Um, I think although these are tell me questions, and so you only have to explain the answer to the examiner, it's worth when you're practicing for them to get some practical sense of what it means because I think that helps it under helps you understand it. So rather than just talk about the tire tread, get out and have a look and have a go. Like check the tire tread for the tires um go check the tire pressures um, and have a go um so you, when that question comes round, it's it's easy then because you have you've done it and you know what it means you're not just trying to think of some weird theoretical um thing you read on a piece of paper at some point so yeah get out and actually practice these play around with the fog lights and stuff and do it in your instructor's car if that's what you're taking it with but also go out and do it in your own car as well Um, Or if you haven't got a car yet, when you first get a car, whenever I first get my new car, I spend 20 minutes in the car playing around with stuff going, oh, what does this do? What does this do? And maybe have a quick look through the manual to see what fun new gadgets it's got that I can press.
0: I would second that. Get the practice when you can because it's not about memorizing some words or memorizing a sentence, it's about actually understanding it because this is the stuff that you should be doing with your own vehicle when you pass your test, you know, doing certain checks and knowing where the stuff is. As, as Phil mentioned there, when he gets his car, he goes and checks where if it is. You know, I think that we all do that when we first get a car, so you want to be learning that, so there is no pressure. But I will just mention, if you, the examiner isn't completely happy with your answer, they may push you a little bit, they may... Ask for a little bit more detail. If they do, don't worry. Just answer as best you can. We don't need to worry about anything. Uh, and as I mentioned, if you get that incorrect or can't answer because you have a complete brain freeze, you will pick up a driver fault, and uh, we'll explain the difference between driver faults and serious faults a little bit later on. But uh, that's all that would happen there.
1: Can I just add in there that as well? Actually, another thing that I tend to mention to my pupils is how again although we talked about this just a driver fault for this it's not going to be the thing that fails your test um unless you get 16 drive faults and then you're just unlucky um, but you probably shouldn't be driving if you're getting that many driver faults to be honest um so i point out is the first thing you do with the examiner um and so it can be a really good confidence booster um so whether it's um it just means you get you You go sit in the car while the examiner does his little walk around and checks the headlights and all that sort of stuff, and it just allows you to go, whew, nailed that, um, rather than sat there going, oh, my God, what was it? What was the dry tread depth? Oh, no, and you're still worrying about it before you set off. So it allows you to sort of just have that little bit of a confidence boost. I think as well it's a nice first impression for the examiner if you nail that question that that it probably calms them a little bit. Um, I know when I do external mock tests for other instructors' pupils, um, when they nail the show me tell me, I do like sigh a little bit of relief because I'm thinking, okay, they're, they're ready for this at least. um yeah.
0: So yeah, no, I, I'd agree with that again. So that's everything you're doing before the test. So when you're just about ready to go, the examiner will ask you something along the lines of, uh, "Do you want me to explain what's going to happen?" And I know that that's something that you always uh, sort of advise your students on. For
1: yes, um, so I always suggest that you do listen to that, even if it's your Sixth, seventh test, or you've done it in mock tests and you know exactly what's about to go and happen. um I tend to suggest you say yes, partly because it's nice to just have a little bit of clarity in your head about what is going to happen. Things like that you're going to be following the road ahead or following signposts that, that you know the examiner's going to pull you over, those sort of kind of things. But actually, for me, the main reason is it gives you that opportunity to just sort of listen to the examiner, get used to their voice um again it's just it's not i suppose it's a little bit rapport building in the car it just feels like you're having a bit of conversation you'll see that the examiner will normally explain that quite casually to you and and it hopefully sort of kind of relaxes the whole environment in the car a little bit and and makes it feel a little bit less scary (laughs) um so yeah i think it's a good opportunity to just like get used to the examiner's voice and calm down again a bit before you start driving
0: Definitely. Um, but at that point, we're then going out on the test, and there will be some things that happen during the test, obviously. Now, we can't necessarily uh, predict what's going to happen in terms of the drive itself, but we know some things will. So, for example, you will get at least one manoeuvre. Uh, now, your manoeuvres are either forward bay parking, reverse bay parking, parallel parking, or a pull-up on the right. Now, the reason I say at least one is because you'll only be assessed on one, but you may be forced into doing something else. For example, you could go out on your test and do a parallel park, but when you come back to the test centre, you may have to follow a Bay Park into one of the parking bays. Now, that is assessed differently, so you're not assessed the same way as on your manoeuvre if you have to do that second one. However, if you crash into a lamppost when you're pulling up, you will fail, even if it is on that second manoeuvre, if you like. Uh, So, Phil, manoeuvres, any advice for the students, anything you want to expand on there? Uh,
1: Take your time, I would say, for manoeuvres. Observations um, are... Vital. Um, my lovely catchphrase is you can always fix a bad maneuver, but you can't unrun someone over. Um, so, observations are going to be key. That's driving, and the examiners are all about safety. So, observations, observations, observations. Um, and then you can fix a bad maneuver. That is something I think, again, it can be a bit of a myth. Um, so, shuffle backwards and forwards as many times as you need, as long as you're making progress towards it if the examiner sees that you're not making any progress within your fixing then he might call a day on it but um as long as you're getting closer to the right point then then do shuffle backwards and forwards i don't necessarily think you need to go back and start again which i think some people do um that can sort of make the examiner maybe not want to give you as many goes at it um but if it's just shuffling it tends to be a better way of um fixing it which is more realistic to real life as well um so yeah something I do with a lot of my learners is practice getting it wrong so we get it right we learn how to do it and then I go right now mess it up um um, particularly just before the test now mess it up great fix it um and so it's a great way of because you know the nerves are going to kick in on the day and and something might go wrong so I want them to be able to sort of adjust
0: I think you've taken the words out of my mouth there on that one, but I'm going to repeat it. Uh, don't leave an incorrect manoeuvre. You know, Use the, the the Bay Park, for example. If you go over a line or you're hanging out, whatever it is, fix it. Because as, as Phil mentioned there, generally if you run someone over, you're going to fail your driving test. If you go over the line on your Bay Park, you can always come back out and go in again. So just make sure you keep it nice and safe.
1: Are we going with jet Generally, there or are we going with generally? You, you fail your test for running people over, or is it
0: all the time? <laughs> I'm going with generally because it's okay. never happened, so I can't <laughs> yeah. say definitively either way. Um, I've got a hundred percent success rate of students not running people over on driving tests, yeah. Too, um, so until it happens, I can't can neither confirm nor deny whether it's a certainty, but yes, generally avoid running people over. No, definitely <laughs> avoid running people over, <laughs> but. There's something else that will happen on your test. Uh, We mentioned the tell me question before. You'll also be given a show me question. Now, this will happen while you're driving around. At some point, the examiner will ask you to demonstrate something while you're driving. This could be opening your window, could be cleaning your front windscreen, you know, one, one of those sort of things. Same premise, take your time, do it when you're ready. The examiner doesn't say do this now, they say do this. So it's not like an immediate thing, just do it when is sort of appropriate for you. Although from my experience, examiners are pretty good at asking you at a sensible time. They will ask you whilst you're in the middle of a busy roundabout, for example, they'll ask you before or after. And again, if you get this wrong or, you know, if you're struggling with this, you'll pick up a driver fault, not a fail. And I want to clarify just that a little bit before I hand back over to you, Phil, because I do see videos on TikTok and I see blog posts and stuff like that where people say oh, you can fail for getting your show me question wrong. You cannot. What you can fail for is if the examiner asks you to turn your lights on and you're looking down at your lights and the car swerves across the other side of the road because you then swerved across the other side of the road. That's the fail. Not not knowing where your light switch is, it's for almost, you know, crashing into another car or losing control of the vehicle or anything like that. So you would get a driver fault for the show me question and you would fail for running someone over. As previously mentioned, probably. Um uh, so, but yeah, that's the show me question. And anything you want to add on to that, Phil?
1: Um, the only thing I would add is practice lots again um with this because like although it's not necessarily about the, getting the button right, it is like it, the car control aspect. Uh, maybe practice some other stuff like turning the radio on off, and off as well, so stuff you're going to do day-to-day, real life. Um, cruise control is another one that's always good to practice um, and good to use on your test, just sort of veering off here a little bit. Examiners love seeing um, people using cruise control on the test. Um, they s- see it as more advanced driving and... Um, shows that you've got confidence and skill and it's eco-friendly as well so again it just ticks all the dvsa boxes so absolutely you can use cruise control on the test
0: i'd agree with that and, and just to chuck another one in there uh, make sure you know how to turn your wipers on because it's not a show me question but if it starts running your test then you need to know the other thing that make or will come up during your test is you'll get some form of independent driving now independent driving essentially means you're either going to be following road signs or following sat-nav with no help from the examiner. So, Phil, anything you want to chuck into that?
1: Um, so for sat-navs, um, yeah, again, loads of practice. Um, get used to the, the sat-nav's voice being, I suppose, potentially distracting. Um, something I always do with my learners as well is practice using the sat-nav without the sound, Um because I think a large part of using the sat-nav is being able to see the the screen and, and read the map on the not read the map because you're driving, but glance at the map and um, understand how far away your junction is or it's not this junction, but it is this junction, that sort of stuff. Um, being able to look at the top bar and see the information because that might tell you in two miles you're turning left, but the sat doesn't say anything. So taking in that information visually is quite good. Um, And then we put the sound back on and and pair the two bits of information together. Um, Yeah, get out practicing with the sat navs as much as possible. Another thing I do as well is practice, again, not really test related, but practice using different types of sat navs. So maybe Apple Maps, Google Maps, um, because learners are probably more likely to have those than tomtoms out and about in, in, in day to day life. Yeah, that's it for sat navs.
0: I think the only thing I'd chuck in regarding independent driving is, even though it's independent, you can still clarify or confirm with with the examiner. Um, They may say, just do what you think is correct, uh, or they may be more specific. Now, generally, they'll get more specific on the way back to the test centre because they don't want to be late back for their cup of tea. But (laughs) um, don't worry too much about that. If, If you're unsure, just ask them. And if they do say, do what you think is right, simply do what you think is right and do it safely
1: not a trick question that is it. That that's what I, I find it don't that's not the examiner trying to catch you out that's the examiner just taking away their responsibility from that question um because it can sound a bit like a trick question um so the other thing i would add to um navs and independent driving is, and, and this actually goes for the rest of the test but it particularly comes up in this bit is do don't be afraid of going the wrong way um so that is something that i think can cause a lot of anxiety um but if you get in the wrong lane or you um and you can't safely get back easily just go the wrong way um go where that lane goes um the examiner or sometimes the sat nav so sometimes the sat nav will redirect and bring you back sometimes the examiner might not think that's appropriate and and redirect you themselves and but they will get you back on track it is not a a test of your navigational ability it's a test of your driving ability
0: uh, go the wrong way safely much like we maneuver so if you get your maneuver incorrect just get it incorrect safely and then fix it Same when you're driving, you get in the wrong lane, just keep it safe. Uh, The other thing that you'll be asked to do on your test or potentially be asked to do is the emergency stop, officially called the controlled stop. I think it's one in three tests that get this. Um, So yeah, you'll be asked to do a controlled stop at some point. Now, just as a heads up for anyone that's panicking at that prospect, the examiner will give you advance notice. So yes, you'll be practicing with instructors, so hopefully you'll know this. But the examiner doesn't just shout stop randomly. They will pull you up and tell you they're going to go and test you on the emergency stop or controlled stop, as they'll call it. Anything you want to add on to that, Phil? Uh,
1: I've got a really good TikTok video of this. Um, I've got a, a good video of, of it happening, at, like how the examiner would describe it, the examiner doing the, 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 the check over your shoulder um, so you can see it in action. Um, and I think that can be quite quite a good thing to go and watch. Um, but I also have a very amusing TikTok video of this, of one of my instructors sunglasses falling on onto his head when when doing this. Um, so yeah, go check that out. Um, but yeah, the emergency stop. It's one of those things that it, you've got to kind of just feel it to to, to know what whether it's right or not. I, I don't think you can learn the theory of an emergency stop. Really, it's just you've got to have a go with the pedals and get used to used to that firm stop. What I would say is take your time with the move off because it's one of those things you've done this really quick stop your adrenaline's going um, everyone in the car's like been lurched forward and, and if you carry that into the move off there's a good chance you'll forget to change gear or stall or, or roll back on a hill or whatever so just take a breath and then sort your car out have a good look around make sure you're safe to move off and then off you go
0: Awesome. Uh, and then, essentially, you'll be finishing your test. So you'll be told whether you passed or failed at the end of the test. Uh, I think they say you haven't been successful rather than you failed. Uh, and then they'll give you some feedback. Now, they should ask if you want their instructor there for the feedback. So if, if your instructor isn't in the back of the car, they uh, should give you the opportunity to come to the side of the car and listen. My big advice there is to take that uh, fee- uh take that opportunity so your instructor can hear the feedback even if they're not in the back of the car because sometimes they might be able to explain what the examiner means a bit more and sometimes they can even ask questions to the examiner uh, to-, to clarify that and then your instructor will have the examiner's perception of the test and your perception of the test rather than just yours is that something you'd agree with
1: yeah, I think also as well if you've just been told you you haven't passed your test, you're probably not listening from that point onwards. Um, so it is good to have someone there who's a bit more sound of mind at that point, and and they can listen in, and like you said, they can ask questions as as well. Um, try not to argue with the examiners, uh, so uh, um, they are they're not there. They don't want to fail you, um, so they have it. Will be for a reason. Um, they're not yeah, they're not out to get you.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, it's, it's, I've never seen one change their mind yet at the end of the test and someone's disagreed. Um, and I think the other thing I'm just going to touch on there actually is, is uh, the drive home. You know, the drive home. Now, most instances, the instructor will drive back. I know it's something that I I do. Um, you will hear some instructors say for insurance reasons, stuff like that. My take on it is purely that whatever the outcome of the test is going to have an emotional effect on you. So if you've failed, you're not going to be in the best frames of mind. If you've passed, you're probably going to be a bit bouncy. You're probably going to want to text some people. So personally, as an instructor, I will always drive back unless there's a specific reason not to. Um, but yeah, maybe that's something you could speak about with your instructor beforehand. Uh, but we mentioned before during the discussion there that there are different types of fault. We can get driver faults, serious faults, and dangerous faults. Do you want to, to cover this, Phil, and explain the, the
1: difference? I can do. Can I just go back on to what you were saying about insurance, actually? Um, and I'm 100% with you. I, I'm the same. I, I drive all my pupils back because their mental state's not not there, whether they're in or, or upset. Um, but actually, if you go and take the test in your own car, um, that is something worth checking with your insurance, whether you're insured to drive the car back if you pass, because you're no longer a learner from that point onwards. Um, now, a lot of insurance companies will insure you for that journey home So you can then go home and then and then do your insurance uh, and then like change your insurance to a full license holder. Um, but you do have to mention it to them because effectively you're not insured at that point. But actually if you if you have taken your parents or or an accompanying driver, it's maybe just worth letting them drive you back anyway, um, for the same reasons that instructors drive you back. Um yeah, but then the the faults, um, so your driver fault, serious fault and dangerous faults. Um, so, yeah, your your driver faults are – your actually, there's probably a fourth category, a hidden category um, called the not worthy faults. Um, so this is something where you have made a mistake that probably your instructor would mention because it's not best practice, but it hasn't had an effect on anyone around us, um, so the examiner hasn't marked it as, as a fault. Um, and then we have the driver faults, which are um, your – day-to-day run-of-the-mill mistakes um basically you i've missed my mirror checks um i've missed timed my signal etc um and then the serious faults effectively can be any driver fault that's just got worse um so anything that is going to have um an effect on another car so um so it's potentially dangerous or something that breaks the law so something like not stopping at a stop junction um, anything that's potentially dangerous, um, is situations that you've maybe caused someone to, to slow down or, or change direction. Um, and then the dangerous fault is probably just the next level of that where they've had to then take like evasive action to avoid you. Um, I tend to use, um, blind spots as a good example of this. So not checking your blind spot would be a driver fault. Um, not checking your blind spot and there's Someone in your blind spot would be a serious fault not checking your blind spot and that person in your blind spot has to jump out of your way or slam their brakes on, that would be a dangerous fault. Um, so the same mistake in different circumstances could have a different weight within the driving test.
0: Uh, I am going to give an alternative example of stalling because I know that that's something that a lot of people worry about and I think there's a misconception about. Uh, so a similar principle, if you're at the side of the road where you handbrake on, for example, and you stall setting off, You've not caused a problem, driver fault. If you stall repeatedly throughout the test, that could result in a serious fault. And if you stall in the middle of a roundabout and block off the, like the lane of oncoming traffic, that's going to result in a dangerous fault. So the, the, as Phil said, every fault could wind up being a, ser- a driver, serious or dangerous, or potentially, as you mentioned, not worthy. Um But you've then either passed or, you know, been unsuccessful on your test. Now, I do think it's worth mentioning what next. So if you pass your test, a lot of people will just say, that's it, done, dusted, on their move. But there is the option for further training. You know, you can now do motorway lessons with instructors before you test, but a lot of people do like to defer that to afterwards. So there is the option of further training. There's advanced driver tests you can take. There's all the stuff you can do if you pass. If you don't pass, again, then you have to, you know, rebook your test. Now at the minute, quite a big backlog on driving tests. I know the, the DBSA are working diligently to 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 get through that and reduce those waiting times. But there is still a, a, a sort of a long list there. So I think the first thing I would say is don't panic. Don't panic. Uh, talk to your instructor have a look get their availability get your test booked in again for the earliest opportunity and then look for cancellations basically but if you can go into your test having a plan about what's going to happen if you pass or if you fail what are you going to do that takes a little bit of pressure off well because then you don't need to worry about it because you've already got it planned out so anything you want to just mention there regarding what you do after you pass or after you fail
1: um, no, I agreed that you can do extra training. Um, it's not something I overly do with my pupils, um, partly because I feel like I've, I've given them everything. Like I don't, we do a lot of post test training within our lessons anyway, so I don't see it as getting ready for your test. I see it as getting ready for life driving. Um, so I don't feel the need to do like, I suppose what traditionally would have been past plus because that's within my course anyway. Um. What I do think is a really good skill to have post-test is um, the ability to self-analyse your own driving. Um, so you probably will have had your instructor go through conversations after some incident has happened about what you what you maybe could have done differently and, and analyze that with you. Having that ability to do that yourself is the thing that will make you a great driver, not just someone who's passed your driving test. So even now in, when I'm driving around, if I have an incident that I've gone... I could have dealt with that better or, or I, I braked a bit hard there, why did that happen sort of thing. I will self-analyse and think, well, was I distracted or um, or, or whatever could have been the, the reason. Um, and, again, continuously doing that will help you pick up and keep those standards high so that you're safe forever, not just for your driving test.
0: Again, agree wholeheartedly. We're agreeing on a lot today, Phil. That's definitely a good thing. <laughs> but I think it's that idea of, you know, a post-test If something happens, maybe there's an accident, maybe it's a near miss or something like that, that's someone else's fault, there's still probably something you could have done to prevent it. So even if it's their fault, I would still rather avoid it than just say, oh, well, it was them anyway. So I think that's a a really good point. And I think the only other thing I'll chuck in there, because I mentioned motorways before, uh, something I talk about a lot with my learners is, Imagine getting on a 70 mile an hour dual carriageway on your test and you're on there for five minutes and you've never done sort of 70 miles an hour before. Now imagine you've done six hours or 10 hours of motorway driving before your test where you've done 70 miles an hour consistently for two hours. That five minutes on a dual carriageway during your test is going to feel like an absolute walk in the park. Um, and I think the only other thing I'll just mention there is there are places like the Institute of Advanced Motorists, other places do it as well, where you can go on to take some advanced training and get like special magical certificates and stuff like that, saying you're an advanced driver. Um Okay, let's put a pin in that then. That kind of covers a driving test. We've gone into a lot more detail than sort of the overview I gave on uh, episode one. So I hope you guys found that useful. But as Phil is here, we're going to pick his brains a little bit more. We're going to get a top tip and we're going to look at his local test centre. So do you want to start off by giving us a top tip for people going for their driving test?
1: Be normal uh so do what you would normally do in the car with your everyday driving with your instructor don't start trying to do five miles an hour slower or very exaggerated mirror checks or anything like that because it will just throw you and it'll all go to pieces so just do your normal safe driving that I'd expect you have already been doing of you wouldn't be at the test hopefully um so yeah be normal. Excellent tip, being normal, I like it.
0: And uh, which test centre are we going to be talking about today? Uh,
1: so my local test centre is Newton Abbott.
0: Yeah. I'm going to throw it open to you to begin with. Newton Abbott, tell me about the test centre in the area.
1: Um, it's lovely. Um, come on, come down on holiday. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Newton Abbott in sunny Devon. Um, so uh, our test centre itself is tiny. Um, it's a tiny little um building with a very weird little car park that's awkward to get in and out of and has caught a few people out on tests um so we have a tricky car park but we can't complain because not all test centers have car parks so at least we have a car park um yeah and then from a test area point of view it's it's a town so we're not got like the whole big city stuff we do have a big traffic light roundabout that most learners hate um and we have a couple of busy roundabouts that people get get stuck on. Busy because they're too small for, for the volume of traffic, so they make them a little bit trickier. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's quite a nice test where you do some country lanes. It's quite picturesque. <laughs> it's a nice place to learn to drive.
0: Sounds like there's like a mixture of everything there.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's a good mixture. Um, it's probably not as difficult a test center as our sort of sister test center up the road in exeter which is a bit more city-based um and slightly more challenging but you you can get most stuff on there it probably lacks a little bit of high speed driving that's about it really it's, we have we have got dual carriageways, but they're not they are 70 but just the nature of the flow because they because of the, how many exits there are tends to slow the flow down so you're not, not necessarily at full speed
0: it's interesting something you said there, and I want to just touch back on for a second because you mentioned about the, the other test that you felt like that was easier. Um, I always push back on that slightly. Maybe this might be the first thing we disagree on today. Uh, I actually push back on that slightly because I think it, and again, I don't know your test centres, but I tend to think it depends on the, the driver or the learner driver's preference. Uh, my example would be the two centres near me, Horseth and Farnbury. Farnbury is very towny. There's lots of multi-lane roads, there's lots of multi-lane roundabouts, there's lots of traffic lights. There's very, very little in the way of rural roads, whereas Horseuff is more rural, it's more peaceful. There's very little in the way of dual carriageways, there's very little in the way of multiple lanes. So there's two very different test centres there. One's got a much better pass rate than the other. I'm not going to say which, but one has. So if you looked at it, you would shoot one was the easier than the other, but I generally found it's personal preference. You know, if someone prefers those busier roads, are more claustrophobic to the rural roads, there's a personal preference there. Is that something you would agree with, or do you think I'm uh, wrong?
1: I think, I think you're, you're right in, in, the story, in what you've just described, that, that definitely could be personal preference. I think the difference between Newton Abbot and Exeter is they're actually both similar style roads because, again, it's still Devon, so it's still got rural and, and that sort of kind of thing. Um, it, it, the way I sort of describe it is Exeter's like Newton Abbott on steroids, basically, so it's got everything that Newton Abbott has, but bigger and more. Um, so there's just more chances for you to be challenged. Now, the flip side of this, and actually I did used to teach in Exeter quite regularly, and I still do occasional lessons up there, is I think it creates a more well-rounded pupil, a more well-rounded driver. If you can, if you, you're learning in those areas, you're, you're going to become a more experienced driver. So that that helps. And actually, I do take my Newton and pupils up to Exeter for that reason to, to to challenge them on those those bigger roundabouts and city driving, basically. Um, so yeah, don't don't be afraid of it being difficult. Think of it as it making you a better driver.
0: Um, I'm going to do an episode uh, at one point. We're going to cover one of my other local-ish test centres, Hare Hills, which, if anyone knows the area, has got a very special reputation and does have one of the lowest pass marks in the country. And everyone sort of looked at it as this hard test centre, and I look at it completely oppositely. So I'm very much looking forward to getting on to talk to someone about that. Um, But I did just want to bring to ask about the examiners. So not necessarily naming anyone, but what are the examiners like in Newton Abbott?
1: Lovely. um I'm saying that so I get loads of passes um but no they um no they generally are we have a, I feel we have a really good bunch of examiners they um they're all friendly and uh, when they come out and, and in a way that's all you can kind of ask so I feel like overall any examiner I've ever met tends to mark the test exactly the same they are pretty consistent um so really it all comes down to their uh, customer service sort of kind of skills, I suppose, and we have a really good bunch of very friendly examiners. They're really good at um interacting with us as driving um driving instructors as well. So we don't feel like it's this fight between instructors and examiners. It's it, it's very much uh, everyone working together to put safe people on the road. Awesome. Uh, anything else you want to touch on today? Uh, no, I think we've covered the driving test quite
0: well. Well do you want do you want to uh, remind people where they can find you? Where's the best place to go?
1: Yes, yeah, so um uh Cowley school of dot com um is where you'll find pretty much everything we have. Um and then we have County School of Motoring on YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram.
0: There'll be links out in the show notes, but if people search for County School of Motoring on TikTok, for example, will they come through to you? Yes. Excellent. Well, uh, we do appreciate your time again today, Phil, and and hopefully uh, you've given some lovely advice for the people listening.
1: Thank you.